Hello, and welcome to Brahm's show. This is Brahm. I told you there were changes coming to the podcast, and we have now finally arrived. Here's one of the changes we are going to be doing. Well, first of all, we got the bumper music, but we are also going to be doing serieses uh, throughout the entire year, uh, uh, 2021, starting actually here at the end of 2020. We are going to be starting a series. This series is going to be called Why Christians Must Be Right. It's actually going to be the reading from a book that I wrote several years ago. You're also going to find that the podcast is going to be much shorter, roughly between 15 to 20 minutes. Make it a little more digestible for each of our listeners. So let's go ahead and get into it. Why Christians Must Be Right, written and read by Brom French. Dedicated to Elena, Brianna, and Chandler, or Cheney, and all who love liberty. I would like to thank my family for allowing me the time to write without much complaint. A huge thank you goes to Kelly Follis and family for the time and energy that it took to invest in this book. Preface. Late February, the wind blowing at my back as I waited on my neighbor. I stood on the porch and looked at the decorations that lined the yard and the entrance to the home. The wooden Americana Yankee Doodle Dandy hung on the exterior wall alongside another wooden Americana flag. On the other side of the porch were more reminders of this great land. Thoughts of my childhood and the great nation that was handed to me flooded my mind. I recounted in my thoughts the freedoms that were passed down from previous generations. My chest swelled with pride. I had the opportunity to be born an American. That emotion consumed me for a brief moment until I began to think of my children and the America that they are receiving from us. With this realization, my eyes began to mist and I began to make a silent prayer for this nation. The America our children are experiencing is not the same America we grew up enjoying. Oh, the flag still has 13 stripes and it still has white stars against a dark blue velvet backdrop. But the meaning to some is something completely different today. America was a place where hope strung, sprung forth from a fountain of personal liberty. A liberty that said you can be what you want if you're willing to work long and hard enough to do it. Today, many voices in America are using the same phrases, but they mean entirely different things. The hope that sprung forth, they now say, is in government. The liberty they speak of is not from government intrusion, but liberty to get whatever you want from government. True personal liberty has, for the most part, been thrown out into the ash heap of history in the minds of many. This simply will not do. America holds too much potential for us to let her slip away. We owe our children more than a symbol of what America used to be or stories of what it was like to be free. I pray our children will sing the words land of the free and home of the brave with more than feeling, but with meaning. There's come a vacuum in the land. This vacuum has tried to eradicate God from the hearts and minds of the people. We've been told that the void that remains should be filled 
by government. The future of this nation rests in the hands of what seems to be a reluctant people, a people that are told to remain silent, that are told they are the minority, a people who are ridiculed in the public square. These are the ones for whom this book is written. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and instructed him to stir up the gift of God which is in thee. For God hath not given thee a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Chapter 1. Groupthink. Political Correctness. Two men have just been arrested after being used by God to perform a miracle. The reason for their arrest? Declaring that the miracle was performed through the power of the name of Jesus Christ. The court's ruling was probation on one condition, that they should speak no more in the name of Jesus. In other words, we will let you go if you shut up and sit down. The men's response was loud and clear. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, more than unto God, judge ye. Eventually, one of these men will be crucified upside down, and the other was put live in boiling oil and banished to a deserted island, all because they would not give in to political correctness of the hour. Let's back up and examine this a little further. Jesus has been crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and the Holy Ghost has been poured out. Peter stands up with the other disciples and delivers a convicting message. In this message, he tells those gathered that this Jesus that they crucified as the, is the Lord and Christ. He has also made some astonishing claims that I believe will help us as Christians. He says in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 23, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. I am so grateful that he shed his perfect pure blood for you and me. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. However, I would like to look at the other parties involved. He places the blame of the crucifixion of the Lord at the feet of the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Peter continues in verse 40, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves from this generation. A generation that blindly followed the determinate counsel. Peter is speaking to those who have gathered in Jerusalem, the same city outside of which Jesus was crucified. It was these same people who had cried out for his crucifixion. Peter declares that they are untoward. In other words, they are warped, perverse, and crooked. To have a better understanding of what happened, Matthew gives his account in Matthew chapter 26, verses 59 through 66. 
He says, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which thou, which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. The high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. It was the chief priests and elders and all the council that urged the crowd forward. This does not excuse each individual, but it does give us a clearer understanding of what really transpired. In verse 1 of chapter 27, Matthew writes, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. It was the leadership that took counsel against him to put Jesus to death. Matthew continues in verse 11 through 23, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest not thou how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled. Now at the feast of the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Peter said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he had sat down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Pilate, following the desires of the crowd. This is why I do not believe that we can lay all the blame at the feet of our politicians. They are only doing what we sent them to do. Verse 20 says that the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude. What we need is men, women, and children to think outside of the box and inside of the book. People who choose to do what is right, not what is popular. Citizens who say what is right, not what is least likely 
to upset people. It was political correctness and groupthink that led to the crucifixion of the Lord. This is not the only time masses of people acted out and did horrendous things to others because of blind obedience. In Nazi Germany, over 6 million Jews were killed due, in a large part, to groupthought. Political correctness has become expected in popular culture, but it has the exact same effect as a groupthink that crucified Jesus. It minimizes individual thought in order to maximize collective thought. History gives account after account of groupthink. It was groupthink that built the Tower of Babel. Groupthink murmured and complained about Moses. Groupthink rejected Caleb and Joshua's faith that they could be victorious. It was groupthink that forced them into the wilderness for 40 years and kept them out of the land that the Lord had promised. Personally, I have been silent for far too long. Though I have paid attention to the things going on around me, I have said nothing. For the most part, even in the church that I pastor, I've kept silent about politics, thinking that politics does not belong in the church. I was wrong. No longer can I be silent. You may not agree with me on all the issues that we will discuss, but I encourage you to stand against the tide of political correctness. We do not have to see eye to eye on every issue, but our country does need men, women, and even children who are willing to stand against the onslaught of propaganda and declare with a clear, loud voice the truth of God's word.